Ladies and gents, welcome back for uh, another podcast on engineers. I've got Carly Richmond joining us today, who's uh, a dev advocate. <laughs> Hello, uh, who's a, a dev ad- advocate at uh, Elastic, who's going to be talking to us about uh, three really interesting and key subjects that are close to her heart at Elastic. So, the open source to enterprise journey. Integrating Elasticsearch across on-prem, cloud, and multi-cloud environments, and observability. We're also going to talk about her journey into being a dev advocate and that shift. And that seems like a really, really good place to start. Do you want to talk to us about that, Carly, and intro yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, So, as you said, I'm a developer advocate. I actually joined Elastic in April of this year, 2022. Um, But before that, I spent 10 years working as a front-end engineer, which a lot of people come into developer advocacy through that traditional kind of engineer-first route. But maybe one of the things that makes me a little bit different is I actually come from an investment banking background. So I actually spent 10 years building software inside an investment bank. Um, and basically what happened is I got really into public speaking while I was working in the bank. So I started going to conferences, started speaking at meetups. I started meeting all these wonderful people and just really loved that side of things and kind of naturally wanted to make that more and more part of my job. So from that, I got someone kind of gave me the advice and said, you'd make a good advocate, you know, if that's the kind of things you like to do. If you like to talk about tech, if you like to go to conferences, if you like to write blogs, if you like to do these things, that's basically what an advocate does. And I was doing that kind of stuff in my spare time. So I started kind of applying last year for a few roles. And then, yeah, I managed to manage to get one here at Elastic, which has been really fun. Love it. Enjoying it so far? (laughs) Yeah, it's it was a bit weird, actually, kind of taking something you do in your spare time for fun and having it as a job. It kind of, it felt a bit strange to start with. Um, also, moving from banking to tech was different as well in terms of the, the restrictions and the processes and the challenges. Um, but it's been great fun. Um, it means I get to do the things that I enjoy doing. It means I've probably got a better balance at home as well because I'm not using my evenings and weekends to try and panic and finish off a conference talk before I got uh, before a, a conference, you know, the week before. Um so yeah, it's been great. I definitely, definitely recommend it if anyone's into that kind of that kind of scene. Well where do you fit into the the product and engineering organization? Oh, that's really interesting actually, because I know DevRel, depending on who you speak to, depending on the company, it can sit in a variety of different places. So here at Elastic, we're actually sitting within the marketing organization. Um, so we collaborate kind of with them in marketing on the event side of things, but we also try and kind of cross divide to talk to engineering as well. But I have friends that, you know, they're a dedicated org that reports to the, you know, reports to the top level execs, or it can be part of engineering, it can be its own function, its own right. It really just depends what tends to fit um, for the organization, for its maturity, and for us, marketing is, is fitting quite nicely. Yeah, uh, I guess you've gone through that that maturation process and mar- because of the nature of the, the business and the products, obviously, that you offer to the market, I can imagine that marketing and engineering relationship has 
has got to be really on point. Yes. And I think the other thing as well is that a lot of the times we can, as you know, because Elastic obviously is now well, 10 years old this year as a company. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of times can get hung up of making that decision of where DevRel sits and sit and feeling like as you grow that, you know, you just have to keep it there. But actually the reality is that, you know, we have moved around. You know, I speak to colleagues that have been here a lot longer than I have and they'll say, well, we used to be part of engineering. We've moved around a little bit. So just being willing to adapt and say, look, actually, it doesn't make sense for us to be part of this org anymore. We're going to move here is fine because ultimately your goal is the same. You know, you're still going to be collaborating with those various different departments. It doesn't really matter. It's it's the the end objective of you know engaging with developers in the community that's that's important. What drives you respectively where you sit? Of course you are. Elastic, ten years old. Do do you want to share with us a little bit more about Elastic, the business and the product line? So listeners have a really good understanding of some other products uh, aside from Elastic Search, really commonly known. Yeah. Um, and and give us a bit more. Yeah, sure. So the big thing for us that people probably know about is the Elk stack. So that's Elasticsearch. You've got Logstash, which is basically, you know, an ingestion and pipeline tool that you can use for transforms that can then ingest into Elasticsearch and others, other various sources. And then you've got Kibana, which is the data visualization and dashboarding tool that can sit on top. But we've also got solutions now that we've kind of branched out um, that basically sit on the top. And we want them to solve kind of problems that are big in the domain today, but also have a bit of an element of search tied to them. So the three that we have is the enterprise search, which kind of yep. makes sense that because it's good search in the, work, in the title, right? Um, basically, the idea is being able to, within your enterprise, index and search across various different sources so you can ingest from either a web crawler or loads of other connectors. And I think of my experiences working in a big bank and trying to find information is really difficult for large enterprises. So I kind of understand why this exists. Uh, I wish it, I wish it was there when I was trying to find all like the internal documentation yeah. because sometimes it can be quite difficult to find. Um, so being able to kind of use a common search platform on top of that is obviously product number one. Solution number two, observability, which is basically covering the main key pillars. So being able to manage your logs and search over them, identify anomalies and trends, what's going on. Also being able to correlate logs with other sources as well, being able to manage infrastructure and monitor what's going on there. Then you've got the application monitoring, which you can maybe dig into more a bit later. So that's yep. kind of the bit that I like to play with a lot. And it's basically the idea of, you know, being able to have a visibility of what's going on. That's what observability is all about. And then finally, we've got our security scene product. Um, so it's the idea of being able to find security intrusions and other various insights to protect your ecosystem and figure out what's going on. So obviously making use of Elasticsearch there, mainly for, you know, as the, the main data source. Um, yep. But obviously those three solutions exist as well. People want to go and have a play. Love it. Okay. Talk, talk to us a little bit about the journey then from uh, open source to to becoming an enterprise. That that would be really interesting to understand that journey. 
Yeah, sure. So I can say a bit. Obviously, people go to elastic.co, they can see the full story as well. But I can cover some kind of the main things that have kind of established us, as you say, from one product now being an enterprise. So initially, actually, the first original Elasticsearch product is not called Elasticsearch. It's actually called Compass. Yeah. Um, and it was built in the early 2000s by our current CTO and founder, Shai. And it was like all of my kind of favorite things about technology. He built it to solve a problem. He was basically wanting to allow his wife to search through her growing recipe collection because she was studying at that point in time. And it was basically to allow her to look through all of that. So what does a technologist do? Well, they find a technical solution to that problem, don't they? Um, so from that, the second version, obviously now named Elasticsearch, what we've come to know and love, was basically built and then released. And many people will know it's actually built on top of Apache Lucene, which is a performance text search library. Yeah. Now the company, you said Elastic is 10 years this year. So Elasticsearch Limited was the original company name, then got changed to Elastic, founded in 2012. And that's where Elk starts to have its foundations. So um, Shai then kind of teamed up with Jordan Cecil, who is from the Logsash, side of things and then the sheep can from Cabana for visualization to basically provide the elk stack to give us those powerful kind of trio capabilities that we all talk about and love today. Yeah. And then it's more kind of later on a few years later is where these solutions, these products that we start to talk about are emerging. So Elastic Scene was originally launched in June 2019. Um and it was actually combined with endpoint protections through an acquisition of a company called Ingame. Yeah. And then observability is November 2021. So that's through the acquisition of Optimize and then building out those features further, which is what we continue to do today here in 2022. Love it. Love it. Can we touch on uh, some of Elasticsearch's key use cases uh, or what the business feel of their key use cases? I think everyone understands, you know, near real-time searching is probably... Yeah. The thing that we all think about, but mm-hmm. help us understand more uh, and the the more power that the product has. Mm-hmm. So when I think of search, I I realize how complicated it actually is. We all, I think, we're a bit protected these days because we're used to using search engines. We're used to, um, you know, having an idea in our head and then having our search results match. It's actually a really difficult thing to do search well and to do it across languages, to do it in a performant way, to do it in a distributed way. It's, it's still a hard problem. And that's basically the key things Elasticsearch was attempting to solve then and still trying to solve now with all sorts of detailed and interesting features. You could probably spend all day just talking about all the various features of Elasticsearch. Okay. So in terms of the near real-time searching, we say it's near real-time is the reason because it's within a second, basically. Yeah. And it's on the indices. So we'll talk about indices in a minute. Yeah. But it's basically, if they have added a request in the last 30 seconds or so, then that would be the ones that are returning within a second. So there's an element of kind of caching going on in there. Got you. So when we talk about search, what we don't tend to realize is there's actually loads of things that make up search. So when we talk about full text search, you know, obviously you'll be wanting to match particular text. 
So it can be through querying. So there's a query element. Anyone who's done Elasticsearch requests, I have the client fucking about in the Cabana console will know that you can do kind of queries, basic matching. We also have filtering, which has an element of caching involved. So between those two, that's normally how you're going to figure out what you're looking for. Yeah. But then we start thinking about language. We start thinking about how to break up those, you know, your terms of a search. Yeah. That's where we have tokenizers. So there's obviously the default okay. tokenizers available in Elasticsearch. You can override them with custom ones. There's full details of the doc for anyone wanting to go down that avenue. And that forms part of an analyzer along with, you know, character fields for maybe stripping out things like HTML text. Yeah. And, and also kind of other things you might want to consider, like, like stemming or anything like that. We've also got another couple of key features, things like search as you type, something we're really used to. Obviously, there's capabilities to allow you to get that from Elastic out of the box. Um, I've also seen if for websites you can build um, really useful kind of integrations with Elasticsearch using different tools like SearchKit, for example, or anyone from a React background. But then you've also got kind of all sorts of advanced features. So one kind of interesting one that was covered at a meetup recently was actually percolators. Okay. And percolators are basically a way to, to save your query within an index. So it's like you're searching for a query to apply, which I thought was kind of cool. That's cool. But then obviously it is, um, definitely. And I'd encourage people to go and see. Um, so we had a meetup recently in London. We we're finding out how Rightmove use percolators for their property search. And they go into a lot of nice detail around the performance aspects and stuff too. So go check it out, people. Yeah. Um, but we have so much other stuff as well. There's geo-search as well. It's not just about text. Text is the primary focus, but you can do geo-search. Again, that meetup covers that too. Um, and then there's also aggregations. So in addition to combine, having these searches, you can combine aggregations to perform sums and other complex aggregations on kind of data sets as well. And obviously that fits in well with a lot of the visualizations in Kibana. If you really think about Kibana, it is doing Elasticsearch aggregations under the hood for you. There's yeah. loads of different operators and things like that, but it's actually quite challenging and interesting as an advocate because Elasticsearch does so much and then you've got the, the solutions that do so much as well. There's no way you can know about everything, but yeah. it's definitely worth diving through. There's so much in there to hopefully help people build intuitive performant search experiences have its scale as well um because obviously it's distributed by design if you know about your cluster with your nodes within it and uh, how you access the and um, trigger the responses rather via rest or one of the the clients so it can get can get really can get really in depth really quickly actually uh, and i know we're going to talk about that but uh, I'm I'm trying to imagine the complexity, and you're making you're making search, like you say, intuitive and performant mm. for people. Yeah, I can only imagine the complexity that's happening under the hood. To use your analogy, that must mm -hmm. be really challenging to build a system that is so performant, so intuitive, like you say, with a solution like Search as you mm -hmm. type. Do you know yeah. about some of those challenges or conversations that happen under the hood? 
inside elastic um, to build something like this? Yeah. Not so much as I would like. Um, I mean, we do have our, our core kind of elastic search team that look after it. I've seen some really interesting things about, obviously, with the performance side of things, whenever they make a change, they have to be very mindful about the amount of testing and regression that they do to make sure, you know, not just in terms of, you know, a very simple cluster with maybe one or two node solution, but how it scales up, how the number of shards scale up. So I know that they make heavy use of performance testing and metrics to make sure that, you know, at all kind of levels of scaling, that it's going to be performant and running through. Um, obviously, we do also have coming through, not just on like our community groups, but through support as well. Sometimes people will say, well, it's not quite working as I expect. You know, this query is not as performant as I expect. So then you see things like the tuning side of it, um, either in the tuning capabilities we have in Elastic or just finding out from the engineers. Yeah. Um, our engineers are super knowledgeable and definitely that's the people I will be pinging and saying, Hey, can you help me? I really, I'm not sure how this works. Yeah. Um, I mean, they talk about all sorts of things on how that all works. And yeah. I know that depending on the algorithm that you're using as well, there's, um, various different kind of the default approach for finding things is what's called query then fetch. So the yeah. idea is that basically you're sending a query to each shard within your node in Elasticsearch, and then you find all of the, the documents that are needed, and then you have to join right. things back together and fetch the documents. Because obviously, when you're wanting relevancy for your document set when you distribute it, you don't just want it to be on the part yeah. in the shard. You want it across the entire cluster data set. Yeah. So that's something that can catch people out as well. They might make assumptions about how things are relevant and how they need to tune their query, make use of boosting or other capabilities. Makes um, sense. And that's just when we, exactly. And every use case is different. You can't, you can't provide super um, relevant, relevant relevancy for everyone because relevancy is actually very subjective. <laughs> yeah. So that's where we just invite people to come and come and talk to us and come and ask us and we can try and help them out with, with giving them a query that should work for what they need. Yeah, okay. We were touching on, before I asked my previous question, quite a lot about uh, ELK or, or you're about to focus on that. It would be really interesting to understand when building or integrating a ELK or, or changes when considering it or how would that change when considering a company's infrastructure. You know, if we're looking about on-premise services, cloud services, or even a multi-cloud, mm -hmm. how are the products or solutions gonna change? Do you feel or have you seen? So at the moment, I don't think there's much in terms of clear differences, certainly for big infrastructure kind of evolution, such as Shai's recent discussion about how we're progressing forward with serverless over the next few years, cloud is his focus priority number one, because yeah. that is where the majority of our base would be. So in the future, it might be like that for a while, but certainly right now, everything tends to kind of function in terms of feature sets in roughly the same way. Yeah. You might have different challenges in terms of performance. So, for example, whichever storage that you've sat Elasticsearch on the top, 
is potentially going to have an impact on your retrieval speeds and things like that. That's just normal to be expected that something as engineers we just deal with. But yeah. cloud is obviously the, the main kind of recommended uh, where to go for um, Elasticsearch and Elk stack capabilities. But it means you can get everything in one place. So you can also get the other kind of solutions we were talking about on your cluster and you can kind of switch things on and off as you need. Um, it's also available in the leading marketplaces. You don't need to write them off. Everyone knows where we're going for cloud these days. Um, but I know for a fact from kind of particularly my experience in banking and also from chatting to people in the community that we do have a lot of people still using it kind of on premise. So they have their own kind of control. It's not just in terms of engineering problems. It can be down to the, the nature of the, the industry in which you're working in. If you think about yeah. banking, very heavily regulated environment. Some jurisdictions yeah. have rules on where you, where you host your data. Obviously, you having it on-prem on a, a trusted data center is probably what you're going to go with. And there's guides on how to do the full installation. Yeah. Obviously, sometimes maybe a lot, maybe there's a bit more hand-holding and you need to kind of do a lot more to get it set up rather than just if you go and use Elastic Cloud and it spins up your cluster in a few minutes and you're done. Um, but sadly, that's just the, the avenue that you end up having is on-prem, sadly. Um, yeah, okay. And then the one I'm not, not got too much experience of, but certainly is another option is the hybrid option. Um, if you have a private cloud and you want to have a private between private and public, I definitely suggest get in touch with more of our sales guys to figure out how that can be managed and handled. But that is certainly an option too. It's, that's the main hosting options that we see, not just for Elk, but the Elastic solutions as well. Got you. Okay. Uh, on some of the observability aspects, you know, we said at the start of the podcast, it it is a hot topic right now. The companies are, are really doubling down on their observability efforts. Talk to us a little bit about uh, Elasticsearch's observability offering and mm -hmm. uh, some of the products or solutions inside of that. Yeah. So I think there's five key ones that we talk about in terms of domains within observability. I'll probably touch more on three rather than okay. five, but we'll, we'll at least frame them all up. So the first thing is logs monitoring. Of course, it makes sense. You know, yeah. one of the key pillars of observ observability being logs, but obviously the power is being able to connect it with other sources of information, but also having an experience where you can find things through your logs easily. Yeah. Uh, integrates with the machine learning capabilities for things like anomaly detection. But the idea is basically that it needs to be easier for you to be able to figure out what is actually going on in your logs and connect it with various sources, which is why in observability, everything obviously has to be in one place. I mean, the start of my career, we didn't have things like Splunk or yeah. Elastic or these kind of tools for being able to easily go through logs. So as a developer, you were SSHing onto the box and then running a series of grips to try and figure out what was going on. It's not a nice experience to learn how to support an application or how to diagnose issues. Um, so obviously with the be able to tracing it through in real time in there and also then connect it to the other observability features, is obviously the, the best thing there. And obviously being able to, to input your own kind of KQL 
queries to try and find what you're looking for within the log is also pretty easy as well, rather than doing what I was doing before with grepping for just random phrases. Actually, normally error is the, the common one to look for. Um, we then got the infrastructure monitoring. Uh, yep. Not, I don't know too much about that as a front-end engineer, but from what I've kind of looked and played about, basically the idea to have a, an inventory of all of your kind of running infrastructure. It yep. takes integrations from all sorts of various infrastructure sources as well. So you can have all that information in one place along with the logs for all of them coming through as well. And then you should be able to kind of have a have a look and see what's going on and also get a kind of quick picture of you know what is up, what's alive, what's maybe not so alive and, and try and deal with that. Um, and yeah. then APM RUM and synthetics monitoring are kind of the three other ones. Um, so RUM, no, I'm not talking about the drink. I'm talking about real user monitoring. So this is kind of the one that with APM, I see a lot more of the power in personally as a front end engineer. Okay. So I Thank like, you. yeah, well, I like to know that, you know, what's happening in my application. But I also yeah. like to know if what the experience is for my users, like, are they having a good experience? Is it super slow? Yeah. Um, you know, what's going on there? And real user monitoring basically allows through capturing of traces okay. um, and events from them doing things like clicking, like loading a page. It will generate metrics for you, including the Google Core Web Vitals, which for anyone who's not kind of from that domain is basically key measures that outline the, the main performance of your application. And it has established thresholds for each measure. So it's really easy to tell if, you know, maybe it's not, not the best experience you're expecting, but it also yeah. gives you insights into how people are really using your application. Like commonly we would use things. And um, when I was an engineer before, we'd use end-to-end tests to try and figure out, you know, how is this going to work for a user? Have we broken something? Like, is this going to trigger an error? But, you know, you're not going to be able to catch everything because you make assumptions on how a user is going to use it. And sadly, they don't always do exactly what you think they're going to do. Um, so real user monitoring can capture those measures, can capture those traces and events on what they're doing and um, on the actual live traffic. It then connects with the application monitoring as well. So, which is even better because if you think about it, if you've got an error, sometimes you're not sure what it is. So with the traces and the spans, which basically from the observability side of thing, spans are just, traces is basically the path through the code, but the spans will be the kind of smaller segments. So maybe it's within a particular method or something like that. You know, it gives you that picture and then can also connect if you kind of enable distributed tracing origins, if you've got cores, conflicts that you need to worry about, it can then pass through and then between those two applications, it'll connect together. So you can actually see the full life cycle of what's going on. You can see all the traces through the front end code and through the back end code as well, which I can really like. I think that's something that I would have loved to have as an engineer when I was trying to deal with outages. Um, and then synthetics monitoring is more around I like to think of the end-to-end test, but running live. Okay. So being able to trigger endpoints, being able to run playwright scripts, or being able to be able to basically go and see, oh, what's going on? Is this is this particular workflow or part of the application working, or has it been down for 30 minutes and we need to do something? 
Okay. Remember what I was saying about there's so much to know about and so many things, but in observability, you basically got those five key kind of areas which will cover your key tenants and you'll have the metrics capabilities as well. So being able to to capture measures on throughput, latency, the core web vitals we talked about, which is kind of cool. Uh, I've learned a couple of things there. Uh, Rum, (laughs) not the drink, and and synthetic monitoring. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think usage volume, I've always imagined it a little bit like a a heart monitor, uh, as in looking at the operational health of your systems and, and what's happening in the back end. But I think the the rum element is really interesting. I I think I had a good idea that that was happening, but I didn't know that was in your product offering. Uh, I didn't know that uh, I'm sure there's probably similar products on the market as well, but that's actually going on behind the scenes and the synthetic monitoring as well. So I'm guessing that's running in parallel to some of your systems and you can understand if there are outages or if I misunderstood some of the context. So it will connect all together um, Got you. because there's two questions really is, is my system up? Yeah. Which obviously the application performance monitoring and infrastructure, your kind of basic kind of yep. health checkpoint that's there. But then it's also, well, Am I giving my users a good experience? And that's where ROM and synthetics in my mind kind of come in. Um, so it's two ways of looking at observability. I think in order to give a competitive, to build a competitive product that people want to use, you really need to make use of both, is it alive, which is what we think of with traditional observability, and yeah. then are they having a good experience and are they even using it at all? Um, which is where kind of more of the ROM is coming in. So APM and synthetics, I would say, cover problem one. Yeah. And then ROM is more problem number two. So we could break it up to back-end observability, front-end observability, if I really wanted to simplify it. <laughs> if you really want to simplify it, yes. Um, but I think you need to be able to connect the two as well to get a fuller picture. Um, There's a middle point maybe. there as well. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is something that is you know, from my own experience, because even as a front end engineer, I still had to dabble in the back end or still had to be tracing through the server logs if something had went wrong, because often you need a holistic picture of yeah. everything that's going on. So having all those things in your observability product, having them all connect together, it's just going to give you that picture and hopefully get front end and back end talking to each other a little, a little bit more. I know we tend to, we like to put them in separate corners, but sometimes it's nice to come together. Okay. <laughs> we we always like no i agree by the way and we we always ask this question on the pod uh, we want to understand your your hiring landscape if people are interested where can they come and find you so a couple of questions in there are you hiring sure. what are you hiring for give us some of that context yeah, sure. Um, so I had a brief look this morning. Um, so all of our kind of career section of our websites is at elastic.co slash careers. Um, so you can see things there in terms of the culture, how our hiring works, where the open jobs are. So I had a quick look this morning. I focused mainly on engineering just because I thought that's probably where most listeners would want to go. 
there are some kind of open positions in engineering and there's some technical writer jobs up there. There was some engineering jobs. I saw a couple of ones for cloud and a few other areas. Yep. They're also distributed across the, the globe. We are distributed by design. So anyone having a look will see distributed in a region like distributed EMEA, for example. Don't be too scared about that. Um, you know, but they're, basically it's across that region. It's not going to be, you know, super, super scary to, to try and apply. Um, so yeah, go check out, see if there's anything that's interesting. Also always suggest people check out the source code before they apply. Um, okay. so that's kind of like, the set of statements set out in terms of how our, our how our culture kind of resonates with people and you know how our, our culture operates within elastic so go check that out hopefully there's some nice things in there that resonate with people i certainly found that when i was applying um obviously if you're using elastic or have any questions slack and discuss are the best places to go if you go to the community section of the website it's all there Otherwise, come and chat to me and I can try and direct you to the right place. So I'm at Harley L. Richmond on Twitter or okay. harley.richmond at elastic.co on That's my email as blood. well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll put it in the notes. We'll put it in the notes. And, and are we going to see you presenting anywhere in the near future? Yes. Yeah, so I am lucky enough to be talking about rum. Um at Modern Front Ends Live in London uh, in a couple of weeks. So if anyone is attending, um, please do feel free to to come over and say hi. Um, I did get through a little discount code today, which I'll tweet. Um, so if anyone wants to to come along and to Modern Front Ends and hasn't got a ticket, that's there's still options there. Love it and. Well, we are going to stay in touch. We are going to follow your journey, no doubt some more products to come from from elastic in in the years that we obviously do stay in touch uh, a massive thanks to to you to come and join us and and talk to us about all the fantastic things that you and the team are building and it's great to see your journey and see that you're happy and thriving in um, being a dev advocate so uh, i'm interested to see where we are in a couple of years and uh, a massive thanks uh, a massive thanks. Yeah, for sure. You're welcome. Happy to come back. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. And uh, as always, please see some of the notes below. Follow Carly on Twitter. Do reach out if there are any questions. Join the community. Check out some of the source code. Elastic, as you know, doing some really cool things like we've spoken about today. Like, share, subscribe, and tell all your friends. Uh, about us so that you can equally come and share some of your stories as well and thanks a lot and goodbye for now hey guys thanks for watching this episode uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us if you want to find out more about us and what we're doing please check us out on social media what we're trying to do at engineers is build a community to drive knowledge sharing and experiences on twitter we can be found at engineers.io it's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.